Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today Martin Cooper, the inventor of the cell phone and is known as one of the top 100 inventors in history, joins your Partner in Success Radio to share how the cell phone has transformed humanity. Seriously, listen to that, has transformed humanity. We're going to talk a bit about that. So while at Motorola in the 1970s, he invented the first handheld cellular mobile phone, which was distinct from the car phone in 1973, and then led the team that developed it and brought it to market in 1983. He is considered the father of the handheld cell phone and is also cited as the first person in history to make a handheld cellular phone call in public. So who did he call and why? I'm going to ask. That first cell phone call made a fundamental technology and communications market shift to making phone calls to a person instead of to a place. And Marty will tell us how that he has understood that people are inherently mobile, 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 however you want to say it. So mobility, as we all know, has been halted briefly to some degree this year, 2020, during widespread stay-at-home orders this year during the pandemic. But people won't stay immobile for long. Why? Because people are fundamentally inherently mobile. Mobile people require mobile networks for their devices, and people are mobile. All types, any race, age, income level, geographic location, we're all on the go, moving from place to place. Frankly, my cell phone is almost always in another room, but if in my vehicle, it's on me. I don't go anywhere in a car without my my cell phone with me. I'm not sure why that is. I think I'm worried about breaking down. So Marty is also the author of a new book, Cutting the Cord, The Cell Phone Has Transformed Humanity, a galley copy of which is on my desk as we speak. I'm not sure that it's been officially published yet, but that's another question I'm going to ask. Marty, welcome to the show. I have so looked forward to having you here today. Wonderful to be here, Denise. Listen, when we spoke, oh gosh, a few weeks ago, and and your PR people sent me your book, and you told me to be honest with you about it, I think it's a terrific book. And I'm not a very good liar, so if I tell you that, I think it's a terrific book. And part of that is because I love history. I love understanding how things happened and why they happened. So it's a terrific book. Has it been published yet? January 5th is the launch date, Denise. And, and thank you very much for your comments. You know, the, the only other people that have read it have been my friends and my family. And uh, I don't trust anything they say. So <laughs> if, you really, if you really think it's a good book, it's, it's, it's a very, very gratifying to me. And the reason... Well, one of the reasons it was so easy for me to read is because it is a galley copy. It's spiral bound. It's, you know, I didn't have to worry about breaking a spine and ruining a beautiful book, but I've got notes all over it. In fact, I'll I'll share some with you via email at some point because they're not necessarily questions, but a lot of them for me were just aha moments. 
Because, you know, we all know that we have cell phones. We all know we have printers. We all, you know, it hasn't been that long, really has not been that long since all of these things have come into our lives. But I don't think many of us stop and say, how did this even happen? Well, you're here. So I tell us, how did this happen? What prompted you to do this? Well, first of all, that's why I wrote the book. You you know that uh, most people in the world have cell phones. I don't know if you're aware of that, that there are also more cell phones in the world than there are people. I don't doubt so, uh, it. Uh, uh, and and uh, so I don't think there's been a, a single invention that in such a short time, and uh, they, we're talking about 40 years, uh, but really the handheld cell phone has only been prevalent for maybe 25. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a, a an invention like that. And yet and I, I don't know anybody who was aware of how this happened, and not only that, how it almost didn't happen. So uh, that's really why I started to write the book. And then uh, when I got into it, I realized that there was a lot more to the cell phone than what the cell phone is today uh, and how it was started. So it kind of grew into a partial memoir, partial uh, display of what the cell phone has done in the rest of the world, not just in places like in the uh, developed countries like the U.S. and Europe. Uh, and then I spent some time in the book talking about what the future of the cell phone is because I'm not very happy about what today's cell phone has become. They worry me, I'll be honest with you. You know, you're going to think I'm a lunatic, but I catch myself wondering now that we're so... It's almost like we're being spied on. Our cars will tell our insurance company if we're speeding, literally, if you're silly enough to put that app and, you know, your car is going to rat you out. I mean, there's just so many different ways for us to be tracked. And I'll be honest with you, I don't like it. So I catch myself wondering if there's going to be a huge resurgence in repairs, no more smartphones, no more. Your people say, you know what? I got an old flip phone. There was nothing wrong with it. I just wanted an iPhone. I'm going back to myself, my flip phone. Do you wonder if people have just about reached that point or some of us have just about reached that point where we don't want to be spied on? And unfortunately, that's how I view it. Well, uh, I think that you're right. And I think there has been some a resurgence of that sort of thing, but we've become very dependent on these phones. You know, by the way, it is ridiculous. We call them a phone, isn't that right? But uh, uh, as an computer. example, uh, right. yeah, and, and a communicator and a, and a, uh, a, a medical instrument and an educational tool, and uh, it's all of those things. I, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to have a hot tub, and I before I get in my hot tub, I uh, open my uh, uh, device, my cell phone, and it tells me what the temperature is and whether the chemicals are in balance uh, and uh, whether it's safe to get in. So uh, I, 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 it's not the best example, but there are so many things. How about uh, the uh, map? I, if there's anybody that could get lost in, a, in an instant driving, it's me. And, and this, uh, you guys, you're much too young, Denise, to remember when you sat in the car when you were going someplace and you didn't know where it was, and you were dealing with this big map that you had to fold up just right. And uh, 
So and that was me in the uh, in the old days, struggling trying to find out where I am, and I don't worry about that anymore. So it's not going to be so easy to regress. I uh, I do understand, however, your concern about privacy. I share that concern. Uh, I share the concern. If, if you've been reading the papers over the last week about security, about the fact that people are are not only intruding in our privacy, they are breaking into uh, the databases that have all of our history, our finances, all of that. So that's a really serious problem, and and that's it's got to be addressed separately. We're not going to get rid of the cell phone, but I think we can solve these other problems, both the privacy problem uh, and the uh, security issue. I agree with you. Listen, I love my phone. I'm I'm pretty strict about who I give my phone number to. It's not something I play with. I use it as a tool, to be honest. But I would be lost without it. I truly would be because you're so accustomed to having it, you know, in your purse or in the, you know, the middle of the car, having it handy in case you have a flat tire, in case something goes wrong. I I don't know. I really won't leave my, my house and get in the car without a cell phone. I just won't. Because the one time I did, guess what happened? I got stuck. Learned my lesson. Okay, so, Marty, let's go back to the history of this. Because I'm telling you that the history of this, this whole book and your story is fascinating. And I really want people to understand who you are and how you think and why you... Why you created this? Well, it's nice of you to say that. Right? Uh, if you want to know who I am, uh, I'm really just an uh, ordinary guy because I'm a, a, no. an engineer. I, uh, no, no. From, from the time, yeah, yeah, from the time that I was uh, uh, that I can remember, I do mention this in the book. Uh, uh, I could not have been more than four or five years old when. I realized that I was going to be an engineer. I didn't know what an engineer was, but I did know that I wanted to know how everything works. I took uh, uh, alarm clocks apart. I tried to figure out why uh, my friends were burning paper with a magnifying glass. I could not imagine how anybody could do something magical like that. And so uh, when the time came for me to to, uh, go to uh, high school, I actually went to a technical school. Uh, I was lucky enough to live in Chicago, and I went to a wonderful university called the uh, Illinois Institute of Technology. And and uh, uh, the, uh, I was lucky enough to have the uh, the, uh, the United States government put me through school, and uh, uh, in exchange for which I actually served in the Navy for uh, almost four years. And that was one of the lucky things in my life too, because the Navy. I know it's a, it's a trite comment to make, but they made a man out of me as much as I'll ever be because my friends accuse me of being childlike uh, in in the ways that I think. And that's curiosity. Uh, that's curiosity, yeah. which is wonderful. It's curiosity and it's imagination. I, uh, I uh, have always fantasized. I, I always thought that everybody did. I, when I have uh, free moments, 
uh, I think about things, and some of the things are current things. I try to solve problems. Uh, but I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, how things would be uh, if things were different. Different in the future, different uh, because I did things differently. And, and that, uh, that, as you say, curiosity, but also uh, imagination has, has served me very well. It, it's not a very good attribute for uh, an executive to have, for example. Uh, and, and why Motorola tolerated me for 29 years, I'll never understand. But uh, my imagination was good enough that it overcame my uh, total inability to uh, uh, worry about budgets and schedules. <laughs> So, uh, I'm laughing because I have a brother that when you're describing your your younger years, you, we did, we never had toast as kids because he always took them apart. He wanted to know why they worked the way they did. Then he he never did get back to putting them back together. So toast has never really been on my plate. I have to say, so that you, I just started laughing because of that. Yeah. Well, I have about a 50% record of getting things working again, but, uh, <laughs> and I still do that. I still, I, I realized that just the other day I was trying to fix uh, something in my workshop. I realized that uh, if I had just bought a new one, I could have saved me tons and tons of money and time. So, uh, but uh, the satisfaction you get of actually, first of all, understanding how something works, and then. Uh, actually making it work again, at least to me, is, uh, makes up for that uh, the time and money. I completely understand. So when you mentioned earlier, how did the, about, you know, the cell phone almost didn't happen. What happened? What is that story? Well, uh, one of the things that I grew into at Motorola was uh, I was in the two-way radio area. Do you know what a two-way radio is, Denise? Isn't it? If I'm if I'm correct, it's basically like a walkie-talkie. I mean, you're it's distance-related. You can't be too too far away, but you're basically speaking over um, some kind of airwaves. I don't know. We did tin cans and a string when we were kids. I don't think it was the same thing. Yeah, no, you got it exactly right. Although most people don't realize how dependent our society is. Uh, especially if, as an example, uh, the uh, public safety, police, fire, uh, people that have to manage resources when they're on the move. And it turns out that most businesses in the world cannot function anymore unless they can talk to their people all the time. So the business that Motorola was in when I was lucky enough to be there it was making these two-way radios and mostly for police and fire departments, but also for businesses and uh, organizations all over the world. And we realized how important it was for people to stay in touch. And as soon as it became possible to make a device that a person could carry on themselves, we built such a device. It was nothing like a cell phone. You had to push a button to talk and uh, let go of the button to listen. Uh, but uh, people could, in fact, uh, talk to anybody anywhere, and that is when uh, we realized that this was fundamental to people, not just policemen, firemen, and business people. That, as you correctly stated at the beginning, 
And by the way, your beginning was good enough, so you really didn't have to have me talking at all. But but, uh, the the, uh, people are fundamentally naturally mobile. You go out on the highway and take a look. It it looks like nobody is where they want to be. Everybody's going somewhere else. So, uh, and then along around uh, the end of the 1960s, the bell system. People don't remember what the bell system was, but the bell system was the telephone company. They made all the telephones. In fact, for a long time, you couldn't even buy a telephone. You had to rent it from the phone company, and you rented whatever they wanted you to have, which for many, many years was a black telephone that either hung on the wall or sat on a desk. And the, the telephone company decided it was time to have radio telephones. And they figured out a way, Bell Laboratories, which was a, an extraordinarily powerful research laboratory, but it would belong to the Bell system. And they figured out a way to have lots and lots of, of radio telephones working uh, uh, at the same time. And so the, the engineer that figured that out, so named Doug Reed, uh, uh, wrote a memo, put it in his files uh, in 1947. And in 1969, 22 years later, the, somebody took it out of the file and decided we're, the world was going to have cell phones, except that their version of a cell phone was a car phone. Could you imagine? We have been trapped in, in our homes. We've been tied to our desk by that copper wire for over 100 years, and now the bell system was going to trap us in our cars. And I just didn't believe that that was the right thing to do. And, and so Motorola took a position that cell phones should be personal. You should be able to have your cell phone on your body and carry it around. And so we took that position. The Bell system insisted that the time was not ready for that. They were going to have car phones. Not only that, they said they wanted to be the only people to provide service. They had oh, a monopoly. Right. You're right, of course. They had a monopoly on regular phones, and they wanted a monopoly on cell phones as well. So Motorola, where it's this little company in Chicago, uh, took on the biggest company in the world. The Bell system was, was bigger by sales, by number of people, by profits, every way you could measure. And we took them on. Uh, and uh, the decision maker was the Federal Communications Commission. The FCC are the people in Washington who decide who is going to use the radio frequencies? You know, you mentioned that the two-way radios are radios, just like the radio. Well, you—I don't know, think you've ever had a radio where you tuned a dial, but when you push a button on a radio, when you tune the dial, it moves. You move the dial from one radio channel to another. So, and that's the way you can listen to different radio stations. There are a bunch of radio channels. There are only so so much of what we call the radio spectrum, uh, but uh, the FCC has the role of deciding who is allowed to use which of these channels. 
Every radio station, every television station uh, has a place in the radio spectrum that they can operate and and, uh, they have a license to do that from the FCC and they are not permitted to operate anywhere else. They were going to make the decision about who was going to provide our cellular telephone service. And around 1973, after we had been battling for four or five years, the FCC was about to make a decision, and we were scared to death they were going to make the wrong decision and let uh, the uh, the bell system have monopoly. And that's when I had the idea, you know, you, you can't just describe this to somebody. These are just words. If we could show people how important it is to be able to talk and listen while you're moving around, maybe they'll get the message. Maybe they'll understand this issue of people are mobile. People are fundamentally, naturally, inherently mobile. And so I talked to my bosses, and they said, well, we don't believe you could ever do this soon enough because the FCC could make a decision in as little as three or four months. And I told them, I think we can do that. And I went to my team, some of the smartest people at Motorola. Many of them, most of them didn't work for me, but I knew who they were. And told them we were going to build a cell phone. And of course, the reaction of the first guy I talked to was, what's a cell phone? So I had to describe that to him, which I did. And one way or another, we put the team together. At the beginning, they were skeptical that they could do it. But uh, I had the idea in November. We started the project around the end of, of 1972. And by April 1st of 1973, we had working units, two working radios. And now what do you do with these things? Well, now we uh, we knew we had to get the message out to the world. We had public relations people. I think you know what those people do. Denise, mm-hmm. we both do. Said, uh, don't we? So, we do. Uh, and, and the management decided that we had two constituencies that we had to sell this story to. The first, of course, was the FCC in Washington, but then we had the Congress because the FCC works for the, uh, the Congress of the United States. So the first place we were going to deliver our message for only one purpose, get lots of publicity, make sure that all the congressmen, the senators and representatives got to read this as well as the FTC. And so they set up a press conference uh, in New York uh, at the Hilton. And and, uh, on uh, April 3rd, 1973, when I woke up, uh, I was getting ready to hold this press conference, but I also had an appointment with uh, one of the morning radio stations, well, sorry, morning TV stations. And this was really exciting, except guess what? Uh, something happened this that morning, and uh, the uh, my uh, position on uh, to deliver this message was bumped, 
And oh. our, our, our PR people found a radio station, not unlike Denise Griffith radio station, except that that was an over-the-air station. Uh, I, I uh, keep reminding people that these were really primitive times because there was no internet. Uh, and so uh, when, when our PR person called me, I told her, that's fine. I, I don't mind doing uh, this interview, but let's do it outside so they could really get a feel for the mobility part of this. And there I was standing on 6th Avenue with this radio reporter, and uh, I demonstrated the, the, uh, how the code worked to him. Uh, and I thought, now, who could I call? The uh, FCC, it, yeah. I hope. I've been dying yeah, to ask, well, who did you call? Well, I, I, it wouldn't have been very appropriate to call the FCC, but, you know, I, we had been battling the FCC for some four or five years, and the guy that was running the program that was, in effect, my, my enemy, he certainly was an enemy personally, but the uh, bell system was, uh, and the guy who was running that program was a fellow named Dr. Joel Engel, and I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to call Joel. And I uh, reached for my phone book, which was a paper phone book, because we didn't have cell phones with us to store all our information. And I called Joel's office, and miraculously, he answered, not his secretary, but he answered himself. And he, uh, he said, hello? And I said, uh, hi, Joel, this is Marty Cooper. Hi, Marty, he said. I said, I'm calling you from a cell phone, but a real cell phone, a personal, handheld, horrible cell phone. You could tell that I wasn't bashful about rubbing it in. No. And uh, Joel was, was, was very kind to me. There was kind of a silence on the uh, other end of the, of the phone, and uh, we held a brief conversation. Uh, he doesn't remember that phone call. He doesn't dispute that it happened, but I don't blame him for not remembering. So uh, how, how could he the, not remember it? That was history. Think about it. I think it, he's uh, pulling your uh, leg. It's you know it, it, it's funny that you say that, but it didn't become history for another twenty or twenty-five years. Oh. It was, it, 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 isn't that right? It is, but it just looking back at it, you know that was a moment in history. You were there; it was right there. He was there. How can he not remember it? But I under I do understand because now, of course, it's we just expect you pick up that phone, you dial it, or you punch your numbers in, or whatever you're going to do, and you know you're connected. It didn't used to be that way, but yes, that was a moment in history. Well, for me, it was a moment of. Thinking, boy, I hope this thing works <laughs> because because it, there were only two of these phones in the world. They had been put together by hand by people sitting at, at laboratory desks and carefully fitting all these parts together because this really was primitive technology. There were thousands of of individual parts. And modern phones don't have thousands of parts. They have hundreds of parts. And they do millions of things more, but uh, uh, this was ancient technology. And that phone, even the night before 
the demonstration that we did, the engineers were sitting uh, in the Hilton uh, repairing the phone because it had broken. So uh, that's the one thing I was thinking about as I was demonstrating this thing to the reporter was, boy, I hope it works. Uh, and fortunately it did, and I'm here to tell you that story. So and the see, result, that's an amazing story, and I'm so glad you shared that. I mean, I'm I'm picturing it. I'm also picturing a bunch of engineers sitting around with cups of coffee and bottles of Tums. I can imagine there were a lot of sour stomachs going around the room that night. You bet they were. You, uh, as a side effect, I I don't know why I mentioned that in the book, but uh, we had uh, gotten a whole bunch of rooms. Uh, in the Hilton for the uh, engineers, for all the uh, that we were working on this thing, for the public relations people, and there were engineers who were working on the uh, receiving equipment, and so the uh, Hilton uh, gave us a suite uh, on the uh, top floor penthouse uh, to use uh, because nobody happened to be occupying at this time. Uh, this was the suite that Richard Burton. And Elizabeth Taylor used when they came to New York. It was wonderful, two-story suite with a beautiful staircase, and that's where our engineers did their final work. So uh, you could you could imagine that they were inspired by having that uh, opportunity. Oh yeah, it's always nice if you're in a, a beautiful, kind of a gracious environment instead of sitting around in a puddle of you know oil or something. But this is what I don't understand, and I'm going to go ahead and freely admit my ignorance here. How did how did you transmit? Because now we have to have towers, and, and I, I know it's a whole new, new deal, but how did you transmit? And what was your, the length and the width? How far could you go? That's a very intelligent question. Not that all your questions aren't intelligent. But uh, you're oh, right. You. The way the way cellular works is that you have a lot of transmitting and receiving towers all over the city, instead of the way it had been done previously, where you had just had one big tower, and you could only hold one conversation on every radio channel at the same time. With cellular, you can have thousands of towers, and you can use a frequency a radio channel on one tower and reuse that channel a few towers over. So in order to do this demonstration, we had to have a tower not too far from the Hilton, since we wanted to be sure this would work. It was actually across the street from the Hilton oh. at a building called, called the Alliance Building that, that is still there today. Uh, and we put up another tower, guess where? Right near AT&T's headquarters, right near the Bell System headquarters, so that we could, uh, first of all, we could have what's called cellular service. can't be cellular if you don't have uh, more than one cell. And we also made sure that we could demonstrate this thing to Bell uh, as well, which we did uh, sometime later. So there were two towers. It's interesting that the, uh, the press conference we held in the afternoon uh, the first lady that asked after I demonstrated the phone and, and uh, my boss, John Mitchell, uh, did a demonstration. And this one reporter said, well, can I call my mother? And we said, of course, where does your mother live? She said, in Australia. 
Oh, well, of course you can call your mother. <laughs> so, really? You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna ask a question, you ought to know what the answer is, because the and, and in fact she dialed the number, and her mother answered. It was the middle of the, the night in Australia, but if, as you just pointed out, the radio part, the cellular part of this phone call, was from the Hilton to across the street to the Alliance Building. Because once this radio signal, this reporter's voice, got across the street, it got into the telephone system, and it used the same wires and transatlantic, transpacific cable that an ordinary telephone call would have made. But the uh, reporters at this uh, press conference were amazed, uh, and it's uh, when you think about it, it's still an amazing kind of thing. It really is, and I have to say, I didn't even think about how it got to Australia. I was sitting here trying to puzzle that out, but when you when you said it went into the regular system, well, that made sense. So you, so you basically just because of these towers, I guess, just tapping into their system. And I'm guessing again, I'm displaying my total ignorance here. You know, now we have underground utilities. You just don't, in my part of the country anyway, because we have tornadoes, you just don't see that many overhead thing, anything, you know, unless it's metal and it's, you know, mired into the ground. But I'm guessing that they somehow tap, like the old telegraph system, into those wires, into those poles. Or am I dead wrong? No, you're dead right. And you're not oh, near right. This is all me guessing. You know what a wag is, right? A wag yeah. is a wild-ass guess, and I'm doing an awful lot of that in this call, so thank you. You, are, you have just added to my vocabulary. I'm, not, I'm never happy to help. What, what, what <laughs> I do, I do, I do wagging, wagging all yeah. the time. I wag a lot. <laughs> As, as as you know from uh, looking at my book, no, the, uh, there is a network uh, all over the world, not only uh, in the United States, and and the network somehow gets to every location. It gets to locations, uh, or historically, by just a, a pair of wires. Uh, uh, today, most places also have a cable going to them, and cables are just as useful as, as a pair of wires. For phone calls, the cables that can also carry television signals, uh, and there is also a, a new thing called fiber optics, where they have this little fiber of glass that carries much, much more communications than a, than a pair of wires or a cable can do. So this the network exists, but it's all fixed. It's all stuck there, uh, and the purpose of that network has become to hook into all of these towers that I described before. So every tower is hooked into one of these things, either wires or cables or uh, fiber, fi uh, optical fibers. And, so you were able to take new technology and piggyback it onto existing technology. So you didn't have to invent anything other than the phone, I take it. Yeah, that's such a smart thing you just said. Did you know, Denise, that there are, uh, I don't think there's ever been an invention that didn't depend upon other inventions. That's really true. Right. Oh, I so, believe uh, that. You, you, 
you know, it, it leads to a, a, an enigma, which may be beyond the scope of of your uh, project. But whoever did the very first invention, and of course we'll never know that, but uh, but today, especially, uh, any inventor is using other people's inventions as the foundation for a new invention. And and you can bet there were lots and lots of inventions that we uh, depended on. But the invention was not only the cell phone, but we had to invent the uh, radio system that went into the towers. Uh, and not only that, we had to invent it in a way that would work for portable phones, which was different than car phones. Because guess what? The portable phones can go up an elevator in a building. And it turns out when that happens, it does all kinds of weird things to the radio waves. So we have to not only accommodate the, uh, the car environment, but also the ability to go up and down elevators and to move around everywhere. So there are a whole bunch of inventions involved uh, in the uh, creating uh, the first cell phone. And in phones as well. And, you know, you said something earlier that I thought was just brilliant. You may not have thought it was, but I'm telling you, it was brilliant that, you know, we would be attached to the wall or attached to the kitchen table, wherever the phone was. And then, you you know, their idea was that they were going to attach you to a car. Well, that was, you're right, that, that was terrible thinking because it's just, you're just, moving the phone from one place to another. But now, if you wanted to go outside and use that very expensive phone, I mean, you had to be in dire shape to use that thing unless you were wealthy. And you'd have to go out into the garage, turn the car on, and, you know, try to get a signal. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, your observation that people were mobile was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Oh, I sure you say that seems so obvious today, doesn't it? It does, but you know they were just going to go from one location to another because they weren't thinking about how people actually move. But you were. Yep. So uh, the bottom line of all this is that our PR people were very successful. We had paper articles all over the world, not only in the U.S. but in Europe, Russia, China, and, and the message got across. Uh, it, it turns out uh, it was helpful, but it didn't do the whole job. The FCC still struggled for uh, almost 10 years before they finally decided, yeah, I think we're going to have a competition uh, and we're going to let the industry decide whether it's uh, uh, car telephones uh, or handheld phones. And, of course, the industry made the right decision. And uh, and there was an anecdote that I mentioned uh, in the book with, that uh, the Bell system kept pushing to get this system built. We kept changing the system, we at Motorola, to make it more and more compatible with, with uh, handheld phones. But finally, uh, around uh, 1981, and we were ready to go. And at that point, uh, uh, our uh, chairman, chairman of our company, the son of the founder, Bob Galvin, uh, happened to be calling uh, on a friend of his in Washington 
named uh, George H.W. Bush, who also happened to be the vice president. And he demonstrated a later version of the phone that I had demonstrated in 1973. And uh, 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 George H.W. Bush called his wife, uh, and uh, they were amazed at how you could make a phone call from this handheld device. And George said to Bob Galvin, you know, Ron has got to see this. And you know who that was. Or do yeah. you, you may be too young. You may be too young to remember uh, Ronald Reagan, who was Ronald Reagan. president of the Listen, so I think he's one of the, the very most important presidents of our, our lifetimes. I really do. Yeah, I, I uh, happen to agree with you. So they uh, took the phone into uh, Ron's office. Uh, he called, who did he call? Nancy. Of course. Uh, and he, Had to be Nancy. And he, his comment to, to Bob, and Bob repeated that story many times, uh, was, uh, why don't we have this? And so uh, Bob explained to him, well, the FCC has not made up their minds yet, upon which Reagan told uh, uh, Bush, would you call the FCC and take care of that, George? <laughs> and that got the FCC to finally make their decision. Right. And they decided, as I told you before, that this was going to be a competitive business. There was not going to be any monopoly. Uh, and that was the, uh, the genesis of how uh, the service started. It took a little while to actually get the towers built. But in uh, 1983, September of 1983, the very first cellular car phone uh, message was sent, and then in, de in December of 1983, the very first portable cell phone system was working. And you know who built that system? It, it was Motorola. I know. So you stayed. Now I wanted to, to back up a little bit back to Motorola, and I'm glad you brought that up. Didn't they start with transistors before anything else? They went if I remember the book correctly, they went from transistors to walkie-talkies or two-way technology and then telephones. Does that sound about right? Well, that's right. If you're referring to transistor radios, you couldn't build a, a battery-driven device with the, the vacuum tubes that existed before the cell phone was done. The, the transistor came along, and this was a device that would let you do what a, what a vacuum could do, but without uh, consuming a lot of power. But even the transistor was not enough because uh, in, in order to build a cell phone, the very first cell phone, we had to use 10,000 transistors. Well, you could never make something work with 10,000 separate transistors, but a new Thing had been invented just before then called the integrated circuit, which uh, in, a, in essence combined thousands of, of transistors onto one piece of silicon so that you could actually build a computer on a chip. You've heard that term before. Mm -hmm. So we, we needed that uh, at least 
an early version of that chip, even to make the very first phone. So, uh, so that combination of things is what led us build the very first phone. Uh, today, and not only do you have a computer in a cell phone, and I think you mentioned that before, it's a supercomputer. Did you know that there is a chip in in every smartphone that has billions of transistors in it? It's no, hard to visualize. Billions. You know what? Oh wow! It, that's kind of creepy to think about. Almost, almost like you're looking under a microscope at a bunch of moving cells. But you know, I think I read somewhere, and I have no idea if this is correct or not. I made a note to to research it a little bit, and I didn't do it yet. But since you're here, I'll ask you: it, Am I correct in thinking that a cell phone, like you know, Apple, I have an iPhone, is that basically a computer with a a telephone app? Isn't the the telephone actually an app? Yes, you got it exactly right. The cell phone right. is one of the many, many, many features of a cell phone. But uh, as you know, a, a modern cell phone uh, is is not only uh, a phone. It's not only a computer. Uh, it is. It can be. Uh, it can measure your pulse rate. Uh, it can uh, uh, connect you to uh, your Wi-Fi system. It can deliver TV to you, uh, uh, and and deliver your image to other places. So it's a, it's a uh, remote camera system. Uh, it can measure uh, all kinds of, uh, of features of your body. Uh, I I just could go on and on. Uh, but I wouldn't go on and on because I want everybody to buy my book and uh, get to <laughs> it's a good do book. it firsthand. <laughs> it is. It's, it's tr- I keep flipping through it because there I've got little stickies all over it. I have all kinds of questions and things. Honestly, I love history. I think you figured that out. I'm, I'm a voracious reader. I love to read. I like to know how things happen, why they happened, what the, the story is behind them. And I've got all kinds of well, multicolored sticky notes. Some are ask, you know, research this a little bit deeper. This one is, oh, that is a very cool story. So if it's yellow, it means go look further. If it's pink, that just means I want to go back and read it because it was just a terrific story. So I wanted to go, oh, we've got 13 minutes. I told you this would go quickly. I really want people to get a sense of who you are and, you know, some of the the tremendous stories that you've got to share. But chapter 12 is one of those where, you know, I, I kind of folded the page down and said, okay, I want to talk about this. And the chapter is called Fulfilling My Family Legacy. What does that mean? Did I really say that? <laughs> you did. <laughs> have you read your book? It's a great book. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'll have to get to it one of these days. Well, I have so many legacies for my family. You know, the fact that I'm an avid reader, that even though I worked for one company for 29 years, I happened to marry a wonderful woman who's a lot smarter than I am, who is an entrepreneur, as you are, Denise. And so I became an entrepreneur, and I have been for the last, uh, uh, well, since let's see now, I left Motorola in '83, so uh, uh, 
all of my family were entrepreneurs one way or another. And my uh, grandfather uh, was the uh, town uh, butcher in uh, uh, a small city and uh, a small village in the Ukraine. Uh, of his uh, six children, you know, five of them became entrepreneurs of one kind or another. Uh, and a large percentage of our extended family are entrepreneurs. And uh, I guess I have ended up fulfilling that legacy. My wife and I have started uh, at least a half a dozen businesses. Uh, the the last one that you might have heard of uh, had to do with the uh, jitterbug phone. Do you ever hear of the jitterbug phone, Denise? No, not until I read about it. What is yeah. a jitterbug phone? Well, uh, you're much too young for that. Well, I don't the, know. Uh, 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 my wife decided that the cell phone and the smartphone were all designed for modern people who didn't mind a complicated piece of equipment. And and she believed that there was a constituency out there that just wanted a simple phone, just the way you described it earlier, uh, whether it was a flip phone or not, but a simple phone that did nothing else but make phone calls. And, and it was so simple that you didn't have to even remember what the bars are on the phone. The phone that would, uh, if you got a dial tone, and you really did get a dial tone, so uh, uh, you knew really? the phone was working. So she invented this phone, and it really was an invention. Uh, and uh, uh, between the two of us, we managed to get Samsung to build this phone. Uh, we built all of the uh, the uh, business aspects of this thing, uh, and that phone uh, was called the Jitterbug. And we started a company called Great Call, and that company now is a part of Best Buy. And you can go to the uh, Best oh. Buy today if you want a really simple um. phone, uh, whether it's a simple smartphone or a simple just uh, voice phone. And, and you can buy such a phone at Best Boy, and, and my wife is the inventor of that phone. And she has been invited to come on the show, too, by the way. That phone sounds like I am adamantly opposed to small children having cell phones. I can't even begin to tell you how that worries me for so many reasons. And it's not unusual for me to see a very small child with an iPhone in his hand or, or something similar, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. So it sounds like the Jitterbug phone. What is it called now? It's, is it the same name? Yeah, still called a Jitterbug. And, and, okay. Uh, and there are other people that make similar uh, simple phones. And and you're right. My uh, grandchildren. That would be perfect for kids. Uh, yeah, my grandchildren, when they were uh, – uh, as an example, Alex uh, had to be dropped off at school, uh, and when she got out of school, she had a cell phone so that if there wasn't somebody to pick her up, she could call, and they could reach her. So, And it was not a smartphone, because you're right, they don't need the, the distraction of, of a cell phone. Having no. said that, I know you, you've already read the chapter on education, because one way or another, uh, our children are all going to be connected the minute they go to school in the future. They, uh, they, 
technology that is in the cell phone is going to revolutionize the educational system. It's going to, going to make the, the idea of a teacher standing in front of a class and lecturing uh, for an hour obsolete because the children are going to be learning both from being connected to all the knowledge of the world and the teachers can spend their time doing what teachers should do, and that is counseling, uh, uh, teaching children in different ways because each of us is different than every other person. And the, kind of the idea of a teacher standing in front of a group and telling the same information to, to all the children in the class doesn't make any sense because everybody learns differently because we're all different. So cell phones uh, are really going to become a, a part of people's lives. Uh, and uh, I know you're worried, uh, Denise, uh, as everybody is, about the fact that uh, you go out to uh, – we used to go out to restaurants and see a bunch of kids sitting around the table, and they're all, instead of talking to each other, uh, talking on their – or looking at their cell phones. Uh, the cell phone, as you pointed out earlier, is new. Society hasn't quite figured out what to do with them, but people are smart. And sooner or later, they're going to figure out how to balance having a cell phone and having that information of the world available to you uh, and also interacting with other people. So uh, we'll figure it out. But I sure hope so. Be, yeah, and I, I agree be, with you. When I was a when I was a kid, I hated school. I can't even tell you how much I hated it. I started reading when I was three. Nobody told me I couldn't read, so I read. I read every day. I I may read five to ten books a week, and I'm not kidding about that. School was torture for me. I was an introvert, and I was being taught the same garbage that everybody else in the room was being taught. And I don't mind telling you, I was pretty convinced I was the smartest one in the room, and most of the time I actually was. So it was horrible. It was horrible. If I would have had the kind – and I managed to get myself educated anyway, but, oh, man, that was a miserable time for me. And I think you're right. Kids learn by listening. They learn by doing. They learn by breaking the toaster. You know, we learn. Each one of us has our own means of learning, and we can't just sit there and – you know, watch our heads droop forward because we're so bored that 29 other people are trying to assimilate the same thing that we're trying to assimilate. It just doesn't work. You bet. You bet. I, uh, the, the best example of learning that I uh, have observed is watching uh, children play games. Mm-hmm. Some of these games now are so complicated. Uh, uh, people uh, like you and I have uh, are almost uh, dinosaurs because these kids have learned how to think in different ways. But the game has every attribute of the ultimate educational system. It's, it's, their games are interesting. They draw the kids in. They're, they challenge their minds. And they adapt. It's, and they're it's, agile. It's, uh, they're very agile. Yeah. Yeah, if, you, if, if a child runs into something that's beyond their capability, the game adjusts itself. They're doing obviously to keep kids engaged so they can sell more games, but in doing so, they adapt to the child, and and uh, let the child either do it over or give them a different path. But doesn't that sound exactly like what an educational 
system should do. So oh, I, I agree I, with you. I'm not going to argue with you on this because, trust me, education is – we need it. We really do. But now we're adapting. You know, people are using cell phones. They're using, you know, iPads. They're using Zoom. I'm not entirely – my sister, God bless her, she uh, until just recently was the president of a school board in her local town near San Francisco. And when all this pandemic hit, and, you know, there are still shutdowns everywhere in California, of course, as you know, is worse. She said, I wonder what we're going to do with these school buildings. I'm not sure we need to keep them forever and ever. And I thought, oh, my, that was a big observation for her. Yeah, the the world is going to change. And and, uh, one thing you just said is right, that we're going to need fewer buildings. I'm not certain about schools because it's, it really is good for people to get together and collaborate. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, one of the things a cell phone does is it lets you collaborate at a distance, but there is nothing like looking at somebody face-to-face. There's a, there are a lot more ways of communicating than just voice. Just looking at somebody and you get messages. But So we're still going to need a few buildings around. But, oh, absolutely. Uh, Listen, we have about two minutes left. This went by so quickly, and honestly, I don't feel like I got to even scratch the surface of your knowledge and, you know, all of the things that you have done and really kind of led us into a new world with cell phone technology. Before I let you go, and I may get you to come back in the new year, if you don't mind, after the book is published, perhaps. Of course, any time to do Okay, wonderful. And of course, you know, Arlene is coming too. Um, I think I need to resend her. her uh, we'll talk about that later. I need to resend an invitation to her. But before I let you go, where can people find you? And what do you, do you have any kind of last minute? And by the way, this is Christmas week. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. I'm going to wish you a wonderful, shiny, bright new year. But what can you, what would you like to leave with our audience, Marty? Well, first of all, thank you so much, Denise, for complimenting the book. You're the first one that I have believed that maybe my book is readable and that somebody may get a message from it. The book is available at Amazon. You can look up com and it'll direct you to the Barnes & Noble and all the other places. So cutting the cord, the cell phone has transformed humanity and you can get more details of what we've talked about. But the, the my final comment, if we have one, one second left, is that the cell phone is becoming an extension of you. As we cover that in the last chapter, that, that uh, the cell phone magnifies your capabilities. It lets you remember things that you can't remember and let your mind focus on those things that only the human mind can do. So we're only at the beginning. The, the development of the cell phone goes on and on, uh, and hopefully most of the things that it does are great for humanity. It'll make people smarter, live longer, and uh, and richer. So and- thank you so much, Denise, for, for putting me on this program and uh, um, you, have, you have escalated my ego countlessly, and thank you so much. 
I, I'm laughing because I was so excited to speak with you, and I'm really excited to get you to come back. This has truly been my honor. And I want to read very quickly. We're, we're no longer um, streaming, but we are still recording, so this won't get lost. You're talking about the final chapter, and what you said in here is human 2.0 is more efficient, more effective, more productive, more confident than any existing human, and hopefully it or she or he or they is more relaxed and less stressed. Human 2.0 doesn't struggle to remember trivia. It remembers everything indefinitely and provides its human partner with access to all that information. And, you know, I, I'm laughing a bit about that because for some reason I could not remember what my, my car three, three cars ago was, and I loved it. I loved that car. Right now I've got a Range Rover. The one before that was a Mercedes. The other one before that I kept for 10 years. Couldn't remember what the heck it was. I knew it was four-wheel drive. I had to dig and dig and dig on my cell phone and type in things. Finally, I realized it was an Isuzu Trooper. Now I know what it was. I had that car 10 years. So (laughs) how embarrassing is that? But, but my, I had to use my phone to start going. I went to Auto Trader to look for esoteric cars because you never see that vehicle anymore. So my cell phone, you know, made me realize I wasn't nuts and I wasn't in the middle of dementia. I just didn't need to have that information handy. So that's what you're yeah. talking about, isn't it? That's right. The, uh, the, the cell phone extends your capabilities or what, whatever we're going to call this thing in the future. Uh, and uh, it, it really is a great boon to society. And aside from your my book, it, it, it's the one thing that keeps me energized. It's a terrific book, and I really would like for our audience to go find it, pre-order it, read it. The history alone is fascinating, but the personal stories are charming. And fascinating. Marty, thank you so much for being on on the show with me today. I've been truly honored spending time with you. My honor, Denise. It's so nice to have met you. And you really are smart. You you, uh, asked the most superb questions. And you really didn't need me for this program. You could have done it all by yourself. No, <laughs> thank you. I'm I'm one of those very curious people. I always want to know why, where, how, and what made you do that. So you are perfect for this show. So Marty, thank you. It has been absolutely wonderful speaking with you. And I thank you for all of the wonderful tips and advice. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes. And honestly, anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Thank you again, Marty. Thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.